we are in the middle of chapter 32, which is the Avas Yisrael chapter. And the Altarebbe started off the chapter saying, if you come to this soul space, then you're going to be able to love every single Jew, Lemigado Va'ad Katan, from great to small. Every single Jew is going to be receiving your love because essentially we are all one entity. There's really no difference, great or small. So that means that the same way that you love a great person who's kind-hearted and has extraordinary character and learned in Torah and does the mitzvahs is the same way that you love somebody who is completely underdeveloped spiritually, does not have good manners, is not generous, is not kind, at least superficially, you're loving them both the same. Now the altar is going to challenge that. He's going to bring up a statement from the Gemara and it's going to be like, really? Isn't there anybody that you can hate? Is there nobody on the list? There must be somebody bad enough who you can hate. So the altar is going to bring up a statement from the Talmud that contradicts this. That not everybody deserves love, seemingly. There's seemingly not everybody deserves love. Some people need to be hated. And the altar is going to bring this up and he's going to talk about it. So here we are. We're going to read the, the paragraph at the bottom of page four and then we'll move on to page five. Since every Jew has a divine soul, and since the commandment to love one's fellow is based on the essential unity of the souls, it follows that this commandment applies to every Jew, without exception. In fact, however, we find the Talmud exhorting us to hate certain fellow Jews. How do we reconcile these apparently contradictory requirements? The altar of proceeds to clarify. Umasha Kasav Bagamara. As for the Talmudic statement, that if one sees his friend sinning, he should hate him, and should also relate the fact to his teacher, so that his teacher will hate him too. How does this conform with what was said above? So we look at the Talmud, and the Talmud brings a Pasuk from the Torah. The Torah in Parshish Mishpatim says, Ki acha, tachas masai. If you see your enemy's donkey crouching under his burden, are you going to refrain from helping him? No way! You should surely help him. But enemy? Did we ever think about this? Who has enemies? The Torah says, You need to love your fellow as yourself. This is every single Jew. So who's your enemy? You're not allowed to have an enemy. Who's this enemy? And the Talmud, the Talmud knocks the idea that possibly it's a non-Jewish person who hates you. This is not the case. It's clear from a Barisa that the enemy in question over here is a Jewish person. Who's your enemy? So the Talmud goes on to explain that if you see somebody who is your colleague in Torah and he does something immoral, and there's no two witnesses, so you can't call him to task at court for this. But you yourself know that he's behaving immorally. And if you see from the Rambam, this means that you actually told him that he is doing the wrong thing. And he's not listening to you. And he continues to repeat his immoral behavior. You need to hate him. And not only do you hate him, but you even tell your common teacher, your Rav, your master who you both study with, that he needs to hate him too. Because he needs to be aware that this man is of a low character 
and he possibly will be giving him knowledge that's not meant for somebody of his low caliber. So here is somebody who is your colleague in Torah and mitzvahs, and he is doing something immoral. You're the only witness. So what do you do? You hate him. Okay, what does this mean? The altar is going to clarify. First of all, as we move along, I just want to say what's coming up. To hate somebody, basically there's not a Jewish person that you can hate. So the altar is going to explain that this category of people you can hate is very, very narrow. Just to meet this criteria is very, very difficult. And second of all, even if someone is so amazing that they actually fit into this category of people who you're supposed to hate, because this is very unusual, it's almost unbelievable. If he actually meets the criteria, he's that amazing, guess what? Besides for hating him, you're also going to have to love him. And this is what we're going to be learning right here in this chapter in Tanya. Okay, so who's this person that you're supposed to hate? This applies to one's companion, one's equal in the study of Torah and the observance of the mitzvot. So here you're thinking that probably the person that you're supposed to hate is this big sinner. Actually, it's not the case. The guy who meets the criteria is A, your companion in Torah study. That means that he's a Torah scholar. Second of all, he's your companion in mitzvah performance. He's not just knowledgeable, but on a regular basis, he observes the mitzvot. It's just in this strange, unusual circumstance, he is actually violating one of the mitzvot. So it's not a small person that you're hating. It's a great person that you're hating. He's a Torah scholar. He's a mitzvah observer. And then, now the reason why you can't hate somebody who's not a Torah scholar and not a mitzvah observer is because the Talmud says that an ignorant person, his willful sins are considered to be inadvertent transgressions, as if he did it by accident. Seemingly, he's doing it on purpose, but actually, it's considered that he's doing it by accident. Why? Because he doesn't really know what he's doing. He has no idea who Hashem is. You know, it's like the little kid who, who ruins an expensive painting. You say, did you know what you're doing? You were ruining an expensive painting. He'll say, yeah, I knew I was ruining an expensive painting. He has no idea. He says, I know. He doesn't know. So this is an ignorant person who's sinning. He doesn't know what he's doing. So even if he said, I did it on purpose, it's not counted. It's not like it's on purpose. A colleague of the Alter Rebbe, Rablevi Yitzchak Mibardichev, famous defender of the Jewish people. In fact, one year, this sinner came to him on Yom Kippur, bragging about his sins. And Rablevi Yitzchak looked at him and said, you know what? I'm so jealous of you. Because when you do teshuva, all those sins will become merits for you. And the man looked at Rablevi Yitzchak and he laughed him off. He said, ha! You're jealous of me now? You wait till next Yom Kippur. You'll have so much more to be jealous of. But the truth is, because of Reb Levi Yitzchak's love, the man actually did teshuva. So this Reb Levi Yitzchak Mibardichev, as a young Torah scholar, newly married, he went to study with the Magad of Mezrich. 
And his father-in-law was not happy. Why are you studying with the Hasidim? You're this promising scholar and suddenly you're becoming a Hasid. What's with you? What did you learn in Mizrich already? So he looked at his father-in-law and he said, I learned that there's a God. And his father-in-law looked at him like, are you crazy? And he calls in the young Jewish girl that used to help in the house was raised in an ignorant situation. Sweet girl, but ignorant. And he said to her, tell me, is there a God? And she said, of course there's a God. And he says, see, she even knows that. What, is, what did you learn in Mezrich? There's a God? You know that and she knows. You know that and she knows that. And he said, no, 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 no. She says, but I know. That's the difference. So when it comes to an ignorant person, there's nothing to hate. When they're doing the wrong thing, they have no idea what they're doing, even if they say they know what they're doing. We're talking about somebody who knows full well the gravity of a sin. And not only is he knowledgeable in Torah, but he performs the mitzvot. He has practice. He knows. But even that is not enough. He has to be rebuked. Why? Why would we be hating somebody? The only thing that there is to hate is something that is truly against Hashem. Now, like we learned in chapter 24, every sin is against Hashem. Every sin is truly evil. But we're not talking about if the sin is evil. We're talking about, does this person house within themselves something that is truly evil? Even if a person sins all day long, every single day, if they don't know what they're doing, that means that they don't truly have real evil within them. But when somebody knows what they're doing, they have full awareness of the gravity of the sin. They have full awareness of Hashem. And they know what they're doing and they do it anyway, this means it's true, intentional rebellion against Hashem, and that's evil. That's to be hated. The Talmud over there says, quoting from Mishlei, Yeras Hashem Snaisra. The fear of God is to hate evil. So if you're God-fearing, then you hate evil. What's evil? Something that is truly against Hashem. So here is somebody who is fully aware of what they're doing and they're doing it anyway. So that's real evil and that's what's to be hated. The sinner in question is a Torah observant scholar but has lapsed in this one instance. In his case, his sin is much more severe than usual since it is written that even the inadvertent misdeeds of a scholar are as grave as deliberate sins. But even this general assumption of the gravity of his conduct is not sufficient cause to hate him. As the Alter Rebbe continues, yet another condition must first be satisfied. He has also fulfilled with him, with the sinner, the injunction, you shall repeatedly rebuke your friend. The word used here for your friend, Amisecha, also indicates, as the Talmud points out, Im She'itcha. I know over here they say Am She'itcha. My reference work says Im with a Chirik. I emailed them because I thought they made a mistake, and it turned out that their team of scholars debated the issue, and they said the correct Nikod is Im She'itcha. So here it says Am She'itcha. I'm reading Im She'itcha. As the Talmud points out, Im she'itcha, with he who is with you on par in the Torah and the mitzvot, who nevertheless has not repented of his sin, as it is written in Sefer Haredim. So this is not a regular guy. He's a Torah scholar. 
He's a mitzvah performer. You see him do the wrong thing and you say, stop, it's the wrong thing, don't do it. And he goes again and he does it anyway. At this point, we know he means it. Now, it's not so simple and I'll tell you why. In order for rebuke to count, it has to be good rebuke. The rebuke has to be given the right way. If you look in Shulchan Aruch, the right way to rebuke somebody is pleasantly. Unless somebody was rebuked properly, it's not considered that they have rebuke. And that's why Rabbi Yenison Valoner, who wrote this book called Marganisa Tava, a small booklet actually, it's printed in the back of the Chafitz Chaim's work, Avas Chesed. And he wrote in this work 44 directives for himself about serving Hashem. In the 17th directive, he quotes the Maharam of Lublin, that it is forbidden to hate even a Russia Gamor, a complete Russia, unless he's been rebuked. Because if he's rebuked, then he has the chance to mend his ways. And then he says that in our generation, when people don't know how to rebuke, you really can't hate anybody. Because unless they've had proper rebuke, it's not considered that they've been rebuked. And this actually goes way back, back to the time of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfon. Rabbi Tarfon in the Talmud is quoted as saying, I wonder if there's anybody in this generation who knows how to accept rebuke. You tell someone, pull out the splinter from between your teeth. And they say back to you, pull out the beam from between your eyes. Nobody knows how to accept rebuke. You say something small, they come back at you with something much bigger. This is in the time of Rabbi Tarfon, Rabbi Akiva. Now, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah wonders and says, I wonder if there's anybody who knows how to give rebuke. And then Rabbi Yechanan ben Nuri says that he takes as, as witnesses heaven and earth that many times Rabbi Akiva was punished because of him. Because he complained about him to the Nasi, Rabbi Shem ben Gamliel, and so Rabbi Akiva was punished because of him, because of Rabbi Yechanan ben Nuri. And because of that, Rabbi Akiva loved him even more to fulfill the words of Mishle. Don't rebuke a scoffer lest he hate you, but rebuke a wise man and he will love you. So Rabbi Akiva was possibly the single man in his generation who knew how to accept rebuke. So in our generation... Who knows how to accept rebuke? Who knows how to give rebuke? Not that it should never be given. It should be given when necessary with love. But call to mind that probably you're not that good at it. And if the guy didn't mend his ways, that's not a license to hate anybody. And we'll go further because really, there's really no license. Yeah, it, it takes a special quality to be somebody who can hate. You have to have certain qualifications to hate. You have to have absolutely no personal agenda. It all has to be about the person's good, about Hashem. Okay? So, talking about giving rebuke. There's a story that I read of Rabbi Dr. Abraham Torsky, who come from a, a prominent Hasidic lineage. And one Rosh Hashanah, when he was a little boy, they had a guest staying at their house who should have known better, but invited the little boy to play chess with him on Rosh Hashanah. Now the little boy said, chess on Rosh Hashanah? No, I don't think we could do that. And he said, yeah, what's the problem? Chess on Rosh Hashanah, let's play chess. So they played chess. After Rosh Hashanah, Dr. Torsky's father calls him into his study. 
He doesn't look up at the boy. And while he's still looking in his book, says to him, you play chess on Rosh Hashanah? And the little boy feels, ow, he knew he did the wrong thing. And he's quiet. And then his father takes off his glasses, looks up at him, and with a twinkle in his eye says, did you win? And in fact, he did. (laughs) So this is a very delicate way of giving rebuke. To give rebuke that way, there has to be a lot of love. There has to be a lot of wisdom. And really, who knows how to give rebuke? And, that's, and that is why we have to be very careful. It says in the Midrash in Tanah Devei Eliyahu that a Russia, when you, ha- when, you rebuke, you, when you rebuke somebody, it has to be somebody who will accept your rebuke. A wicked person, you don't have to rebuke them. And then the Midrash continues, not only don't you have to rebuke them, but you're not allowed to rebuke them. If they're not going to take your rebuke, you're not allowed to rebuke them. And this brings to mind another story. This is a story of the Vishnitzer Rebbe of the last generation. That he was once, he used to take a stroll every single day with his attendant. And he was once strolling and instead of continuing on his way home, starts walking up the steps to this huge mansion. This mansion belonged not to one of his chassidim and not even to an observant Jew. It actually belonged to somebody who opposed traditional Judaism and was a member of the Enlightenment movement, the Haskalah movement, a bank manager. So the attendant is like wondering, why is he coming here? But he doesn't ask anything and the Rebbe knocks on the door. The butler lets him in, seats him in the parlor, and down the stairs comes the bank manager and can't believe it, the Vishnitzer Rebbe is sitting in his house. So he welcomes him and he says, Vishnitzer Rebbe, and he exchanges some pleasantries, he offers him a drink. And then after a few minutes, it's getting uncomfortable, but it's silent. The Vishnitzer Rebbe doesn't say anything. I mean, you come to my house, probably you want something from me, and yet he's saying nothing. So after a few minutes, he said, Vishnitzer Rebbe, there must be a reason why you honored me with a visit. Can you tell me what it is? And he said, yes, I came to get a mitzvah and I got my mitzvah. Thank you. Good night. And he gets up and starts to leave. And so he said, I don't understand what mitzvah. And he said, well, just like there's a mitzvah to tell something to someone when they're going to listen to you, there's also a mitzvah not to tell something to someone when you know that they're not going to listen to you. So I have something to tell you that you will not listen to me and I won't get the mitzvah by just sitting in my house and you're sitting in your house. So I came to your house so I can sit in your presence and not say anything. Thank you for the mitzvah. Good night. And he starts leaving. And the man said, how do you know I won't do anything about it? He said, because I know. And he's chasing him down the block. Please tell me what it is. Maybe I will do something. He said, sorry, I don't want to lose my mitzvah. And finally he persists and he says, okay, I'll tell you. Last week, a widow came to the Vishnitzer Rebbe because her house is in foreclosure and was going to go on auction next week. And she asked him to please come to the bank manager and stop the foreclosure and stop the auction. She doesn't want to be out on the street with her little ones. And the bank manager looks at the Rebbe and he says, please, I'm just the bank manager. I don't own the bank. I just work here. And besides, it's not my policy. It's the bank's policy. And he said, see, 
I told you, I knew you weren't going to listen. And he went into his house. Now this man's conscience wouldn't let him go. And by the end of the week, he paid off the woman's mortgage from his own personal funds. This was not a chassid. This was not an observant Jew. This was a member of the Haskalah movement. But he felt this deep Avas Yisrael and he did not want to let the woman lose her house. So yes, there's a mitzvah to say something when someone's going to listen to you. There's a mitzvah not to say something when somebody's not going to listen to you. And look how the vision of Rebbe turned one mitzvah into the other mitzvah. <laughs> so at this point, there is no need to exaggerate the gravity of his sin. It is clearly a deliberate transgression. We know that he needs to be hated because he, he knows. He studies Torah. He practices. He does the mitzvahs. He's been rebuked and he's doing it anyway. This means it's intentional. It means that there's real evil within him. Okay. Now I just want to differentiate between someone that someone is supposed to hate and someone that a person is supposed to keep a healthy distance from because they may be a negative influence. The Mishnah in Perkei says, Keep far from a bad neighbor and don't attach yourself to a wicked person. And the Rambam in Hilchas Deis, the Laws of Character Development, Chapter 6, talks about how deeply influenced we are by the people that we live with. And therefore, we need to keep the company of good people and stay far away from wicked people. This is not the same thing as hating somebody. Somebody who you need to keep a distance from because they may be a negative influence is not somebody to be hated. There's somebody to be loved. And at the same time that you love them, you maintain a healthy distance so that they don't become a negative influence on you. Why would you hate them? Because they may have a negative influence on you. First of all, that's just a maybe. That's not of a reason, enough of a reason to hate. And second of all, it's actually your problem. If you were strong enough, they wouldn't be able to negatively influence you. So it's not a reason for hate. It's a reason for distance, but it's not a reason for hatred. Hatred is specifically this very specific set of criteria. Torah scholar, who's your friend. So that means that you have a language with him. You have a connection with him. You could be speaking to him. He's a Torah scholar. He's your friend that you can speak to. He's a mitzvah observer. And plus you rebuked him and he's not listening. That means that he truly houses within himself evil. True rebellion against Hashem. And somebody who fears God is one who hates evil. Then he needs to be hated. But wait, it's not so simple. Just in case you're getting excited that you get to hate somebody. Aval. But as to one who is not his companion his equal in the Torah and the mitzvot, as our sages say concerning the ignorant in general. Even his deliberate transgressions are regarded as inadvertent acts, since he is unaware of the gravity of the sin. Nor is he on intimate terms with him. Not only is one not enjoying to hate him, on the contrary, he must in fact strive to become closer to him, as the Alter Rebbe states shortly. So we talked about this specific group of people that is to be hated. Now we understand that that whole range of wicked people, that whole range of people that ignore Torah, that ignore mitzvahs, that don't behave properly, not only are they not to be hated, actually, they are to be loved. And as we're going to see in the development of the Altar of His words, not just loved with regular love, they need an extra measure of love. 
To hate such a sinner is truly unjustifiable, since no sin that he commits is considered deliberate. There is also no reason to keep one's distance from him out of fear that he will learn from his evil ways. In fulfillment of the exhortation of the Mishnah, do not fraternize with a wicked man, since he is not on close personal terms with him in any case. Hine, alzeh amar hello hazaki, hevei talmidav shel ahare. Therefore, on the contrary of this situation, Hillel said, Be one of the disciples of Aharon, loving peace and pursuing peace, loving creatures and drawing them near to the Torah. So the Midrash tells us about Aharon, that he'd be walking down the road, and he would meet a sinner, and he would greet him warmly. And then the sinner would go home and he would want to do a sin. And he'd say, how could I sin? Tomorrow, I'm going to meet Aharon. And I will be embarrassed to look at him because I sinned. And he would refrain from sinning. Now, this behavior of Aharon is to be emulated. The Mishnah tells us, be one of his students. Love peace. Pursue peace. Love the creatures and bring them close to the Torah. This usage of the term creatures in reference to human beings means that even those who are far from God's Torah and His service, for which reason they are classified simply as creatures, indicating that the fact that they are God's creations is their sole virtue. So look at the word used by the Mishnah. It's briais, creatures. What a curious term. Creatures? Yeah. They're so low, they're so distant, that the only redeeming quality that they have is that they've been created by God. And these are the people that Aharon loved. The Midrash tells us that Eliyahu Anavi was once asked why God created rodents and other creepy creatures. And he said, because when he looks at evil people and wants to destroy them, he said, well, I let these exist. I'll let those exist too. So we're talking about people who are called creatures. And what was Aaron's method? He loved them. Now, Rabbi Steinsaltz points out something very fascinating. That the love in Avas Yisrael does not depend on the qualities of the recipient of the love. It depends on the qualities of the giver of love. Somebody who lives in a soul space loves every Jew, even somebody who's called a creature, because they recognize that within them there is a divine soul. And truly they are holy, and truly, truly they are special. Yeah, it may not be manifest, but they are to be loved. They are literally, literally part and parcel of their own very essence. So these are the people that Aaron loved, and this is what we should emulate. We need to show love to people like this. Sarech even those one must attract with strong cords of love. So these are people who seemingly have not much going for them, not physically, not spiritually, and they need to be drawn in with strong cords of love. There's the story of the parents of the Baal Shem Tov. They were childless for many, many years. Rabbi Eliezer and Sarah. And they lived very simply, but every Shabbos they would splurge on Hachnasas Orchim. 
having guests. And it wasn't necessarily the most charming guests. It was everybody who needed a place to eat. So there was at least 20 or 30 people at their Shabbos table every single week, Friday night, Shabbos day, and he had sleepover guests. Everybody's welcome to sleep at his house. Now, one Friday night, Shabbos already began, the mail already began, and in walks a beggar with a sack on his shoulder. So that means that he desecrated the Shabbat. In those days, if somebody is desecrating Shabbat, it means that they know it's Shabbos. You know, nowadays, somebody's desecrating Shabbos, they don't even know what Shabbos is. In those days, if somebody was desecrating Shabbat, they knew that they were desecrating Shabbat. So he's walking in Friday night with a sack on his shoulder, obviously having desecrated Shabbat. He doesn't smell nice. He talks very unpleasantly with foul, coarse language. And Rabbi Eliezer welcomes him in warmly. He gives him a place at the table. And this guy is really uncouth. And he's grabbing other people's food. He's saying nasty comments. Till the guests are saying, please get this guy out of here. And Rabbi Eliezer feels so hurt for the pride of this man that the other guests are mistreating. That he goes to his room for a few minutes to cry. And then he quickly comes out so that he doesn't leave him at the mercy of the other guests. And he invites him to stay the night, which he does most unpleasantly. He invites him to eat with them the next day, which he does again unpleasantly, bothering everybody in the house. And he invites him to stay over, as was his custom, Saturday night until Sunday morning when he sees his guests off. And that was some Shabbos. Not pleasant for most of the people who had to spend it with this man. And as Rabbi Eliezer is walking the man out, he turns to him and he said, You should know that I am Eliyahu Hanavi, and I have been sent to test you. You passed, and you will be blessed with a son. And he and his wife were blessed in their very old age with the Baal Shem Tov. So here was the father of the Baal Shem Tov, and you can see why, who gave love unconditionally. There were no physical reasons to love this man and seemingly no spiritual reasons to love this man. And yet he loved him and he felt bad for him. He cried for him. This is the way that all of us need to act. A way drawing in somebody who seems to have no merits with strong cords of love. Now the Alter Rebbe says, Hashem. Perhaps thereby, one will be able, after all, to draw them close to the Torah and the service of God. So what's going on over here? Is this conditional love or is it unconditional love? Do we love them just because we love them? Or are we loving them to draw them close to the Torah? Now let's read the next sentences and then we're going to talk about it. And even if one fails in this, to draw him close to the Torah and service of Hashem, he has not forfeited the merit of the mitzvah of neighborly love, which he has fulfilled by his efforts in this direction. Okay. So, the love for this person. Is it conditional? Is it unconditional? Jewish people need to be loved because they need to be loved because they are part and parcel of the divine essence, regardless whether they're going to become close to the Torah, whether they're not going to become close to the Torah. That's A. On the other hand, who is a Jew? Somebody whose essence is deeply intertwined with Hashem, whose essence is actually divine and part and parcel of the divine reality. 
and is most fully expressed and actualized through the Torah. Because we find very different statements regarding Torah, regarding Jewish people, regarding sins and Jewish people. The Talmud says, Yisrael Yisrael Hu. A Jewish person, even though he sinned, he's still Jewish. The Zohar says that there are three binds that are bound to each other. The Jew is bound to the Torah, and the Torah is bound to Hashem, which seems to say from the Zohar that the Jews are specifically tied to Hashem through the Torah. And then we find the Midrash that lists things that were there before the creation of the world. One of these things are the Torah. The Torah preceded the creation of the world. And then it finishes in saying, but the Jewish people preceded them all. Meaning, the Jewish people preceded even the Torah. So essentially, a Jewish person is bound to Hashem regardless. Whether or not they keep the Torah, whether or not they're studying the Torah, they are essentially bound to Hashem. However, how is a Jew most fully expressed How does he best self-actualize? How does he shine and thrive in this world? Through the Torah. That's who he is. So love him for who he is, of course. But who is he? He is somebody that is bound to Hashem and best expresses himself through the Torah. So if you love him and he comes close, that's wonderful. If you love him and he doesn't come close, you still did the mitzvah, but it's sad for you and it's sad for him. His essence is not shining. So it's not conditional. You're loving him for who he is. But loving him for who he is means you want him to best express his essence. You want him to realize his relationship with Hashem. And therefore you wish that he will come close to Hashem. But if he doesn't, he doesn't. And you still have the mitzvah of love your fellow Jew as you love yourself. Let's sum up what we said until now and then we're going to move forward, okay? So we talked about, are we supposed to hate anybody? Well, there's a narrow sector of people that possibly might need to be hated. Torah scholar, mitzvah observer, who is your colleague, you rebuke him and he goes ahead and continues to sin. So this looks like he's truly rebelling against Hashem. But everybody else, all those sinners out there, not only shouldn't you hate them, you need to love them and you need to show them an extra measure of love. Now we're going to get back to the guy who seemingly you're supposed to hate. How do we act to him? Is he somebody that no longer has the mitzvah? And in fact, there are commentators who say that love your fellow as yourself. And that means somebody who keeps the Torah. If he doesn't keep the Torah, then he's no longer considered re'acha. But if you look at the Talmud, you look at the Midrash, you look at what Kabbalists say, you look at the Rambam, you'll see that that's not the general consensus. He too needs to be loved, even the person who supposedly needs to be hated. Furthermore, even those whom one is enjoying to hate, for they are close to him, and he has rebuked them, but they have still not repented of their sins one is obligated to love them too. So this is really interesting. Even the guy that you're supposed to hate, him too you're supposed to love. 
Now, let's look at what the Talmud says. In Sanhedrin, where they're discussing the death penalty, what methods are to be employed, the Talmud says that this guy needs to get the most compassionate death. And what's the proof text? Love your fellow as yourself. Choose for him a good, compassionate death. So this is a big sinner. You realize, first of all, for the death penalty to have to have happened, needed such difficult criteria that it almost never happened. The Talmud says that if a court put somebody to death once in 70 years, 7-0, they were considered to be a bloody court. So let's just understand how rare it was for the death penalty to be to be administered. But let's look at somebody who's getting the death penalty. That means that he was warned by two witnesses before he did the sin that if he does it, he's going to be getting the death penalty. And then nevertheless, he goes ahead and does the sin in front of two witnesses. He gets the death penalty. And about him, the Talmud says, choose for him a good death. Why? Because love your fellow as yourself. So we're talking about somebody who's a Russia. We're talking about somebody who's clearly evil, and yet, love him as you love yourself. Now, if you look at Tomer Devorah, this is written by Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, the Kabbalist. He says like this, A person should accustom himself to internalize the love of people into his heart, and even the evildoers, as if they were his brothers, and even more than this. So again, from the Kabbalists, we see that even somebody who's considered to be utterly wicked, he needs to be loved too. And if you look at the Rambam, in his introduction to Sanhedrin, it's called the introduction to Parak and he says that even somebody who transgressed many sins because of his desires or because of the overpowering influence of his evil inclination, we are obligated to love him, have mercy upon him, to conduct ourselves in relation to him in all the paths of love and brotherhood commanded by Hashem. So we're looking at people who are clearly wicked, who are clearly have some evil within them, and yet, again and again, we see from the Talmud, from the Rambam, from the Kabbalists, that this evil person gets love too. So how are we supposed to deal with somebody like this? Somebody who is clearly to be hated, and yet he is clearly to be loved. Quite the paradox. But is it possible to love a person and hate him at the same time? The Altarebbe explains that since the love and the hatred stem from two different causes, they do not conflict. I mean, seriously, could you love and hate the same person? One of them is going to be fake. Either you truly love them and the hatred is not real, or you truly hate them and the love is not real. How could it be both? And that's what the Uraim writes. Somebody who is supposed to be hated, it's not real hatred. He says, in your heart of hearts, you love them, but outwardly you show as though you hate him. And this is not what the Alter Rebbe says. The Alter Rebbe says, they're both true. When the Torah says, love your fellow as yourself, that's 100% genuine. Love him as you love yourself. When the Torah says in Mishlei, the fear of God is to hate evil, it means that somebody who has real evil within him must be hated. How does that work? 
And both the love and the hatred are truthful emotions in this case. How is this possible? Sin'a mitzad ha-rasha behem, ve'ahava mitzad bechinas ha-taiv ha-ganaz shabahem. Since the, since the hatred is on the account of the evil within them, while the love is on the account of the good hidden in them, shehu nitzait elaykos shebeseicham hamechaye nafsham ha'elaykis, which is the divine spark within them that animates their divine soul. For this spark of godliness is present even in the, the most wicked of one's fellow Jews. It is merely hidden. So you're not really loving and hating the same person. You're loving and hating different aspects of the same person. You're hating the evil within them, but you're loving that divine spark which animates their divine soul. This is a curious term that Alter Rebbe uses. He says, the good that is hidden within them is the Nitzites Eleikos, the divine spark that's within them, which vivifies their divine soul. So what does it mean, their divine spark, their divine soul? What are you loving? Earlier in Tanya, we encountered this concept as well, and that is the divine soul that comes to be within a human being, even though it is divine, Rabbi Chaim Vital writes, that it becomes to be something of a creation. It is not like any other creation, but it is something of a created being once it has devolved and come through the worlds. It goes through some type of diminished consciousness. Now, we learned in chapter 24 that once somebody sins, they drag down even their divine soul with them. Because the truest life force of a Jewish person is their divine soul. That's what animates their animal soul, which in turn animates their body. When a person does a sin, not only is their animal soul dragged into it, but guess how tragic this is, that the divine soul too is dragged into the sin against her will, but she's dragged into the sin. There is one part of the soul that is never dragged into sin, that never experiences any change or undergoes any downfall, and that's the divine spark that animates the divine soul. It is completely unaffected and always remains unaffected. This divine spark animates the divine soul. And it is truly, truly good. It is never affected even by the evil within a person. So it's two separate things. There's the evil and there's the good. And the good is not affected by the evil. So you hate the evil within them, but you love the good within them. Now, this sounds very good, but it happens to be in the same person. Let's say this one person needs a favor do you do them a favor because you love them or do you not do them a favor because you hate them and we're going to get to that next week i'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger and i'm going to tell you a story of the alta rebbe the alta rebbe was once collecting money to ransom jewish prisoners and they came to a certain town and they told him don't even bother going to that rich man he is such a miser Every single guy that comes to his house, he throws a rusty penny in their face. And he said, actually, that's the first guy I'd like to visit. So they bring the altar Rebbe to his house, and he welcomes the altar Rebbe inside. He sits down on the chair and tells them the story of these Jewish prisoners who need some crazy amount of money in order to be ransomed. 
And the man looks at the Alter Rebbe and he's taking the story in and he seems deeply moved, takes out a rusty penny and he gives it to the Alter Rebbe and he says, here you go. And the Alter Rebbe looks at him and says, thank you. May you merit to do many more mitzvot. And he gets up to go. And the man says, one second, I want to give you more. And he gives the Alter Rebbe like five pennies. And the Alter Rebbe thanks him again. And he says, thank you. May you merit to do many more mitzvot. And this repeats itself again and again until the man actually gave the Alter Rebbe the entire sum of money that he needed in order to ransom these Jewish prisoners. And after he left the house, those chassidim that were escorting him asked the Alter Rebbe, how did you manage to do that one? He was a miser. And he said, no, that man is not a miser. That man is kind and loving. He always wanted to give, but he had a spiritual blockage covering his soul. And every time someone threw that rusty penny back in his face, it intensified the blockage. When I took it from him and I said, thank you, then a little bit of that blockage was removed. And every single time he donated, a little bit more was removed until he was able to express his goodness and his kindness and his generosity. So here the Alter Rebbe was able to see the goodness in every Jew and not be deterred by something that looked like to be evil. And so I'm going to sum up what we said until now, and then I'll open up for questions and discussion. We started off the chapter that love for a fellow Jew is from great to small. Everybody should, should be loved. Every single Jewish person, from the greatest to even the most sinful. Ultimately, every Jewish person has a soul, and all of us share one essence. And then the Alter Rebbe in this class <laughs> brought a challenge to himself and said, what do you mean? The Talmud speaks about a certain individual that needs to be hated. The Alter Rebbe explains who is this individual. It's not just any wicked person that gets to be hated. No. It is somebody who is a Torah scholar, so they know full well what they're doing. They are mitzvah observant. They are your colleagues, so you can rebuke them. And you have rebuked them, and nevertheless, they repeated their sin. That means that they truly are rebelling against Hashem. This is real evil. And someone who fears Hashem hates evil. He is to be hated. But every other sinner, people who are so low just as to be called creatures, not only are they not to be hated, they are supposed to be loved. And not only are they supposed to be loved, they are supposed to be drawn in with an extra measure of love. Hopefully they'll come close to Hashem. And if not, you still did the mitzvah of loving a fellow Jew. And what about those people who are supposed to be aided? Does that mean you don't love them? Actually, they too, you love. There is not a single Jewish person who is not going to get your love. Even if you're supposed to hate him, you're supposed to love him. And how do you do that? Well, you hate the evil that is within them, and you love that hidden good that is within them. Every single Jewish person, no matter who, has this divine spark within them and that is to be loved literally you share one soul and you love him as you love yourself now next class we're going to talk about some people who supposedly are supposed to be hated with a consummate hatred as david hamelech says in tehillim tachlis sinas nesim i hated them with a consummate hatred and we're going to see if there's actually a group of people who are supposed to be hated and not loved at all but that's for next class and I'm opening up for questions and discussion.